Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Murray Nye. He's the CEO of TSXV listed Winston Gold. And he talks to us about their plans for a fast track strategy. And if you want our thoughts on that, the conversation, the company itself, you can get that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports. You can get commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of com- uh, companies and commodities. Uh, there are training videos on there to help you do analysis. There is summaries of other interviews to save you a little bit of time. And of course, there's a big thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, safe environment. So do go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Murray, how are you doing, sir? Very good, Matt. Uh, nice to see you this morning. I guess it's afternoon where you are. It is. It is. Mid-afternoon. Long way to go. Long way to go. Okay. And uh, are you well? How is life in Winnipeg? Winnipeg's good. Uh, we've had a little outbreak in uh, COVID in the last two, three weeks, and they've gone into what they call a red uh, a red uh, zone, which means you can't really do any shopping in stores, only for uh, only for ne- you know necessity necessary items like uh, food and uh, and uh, but nothing uh, nothing other than that. You okay. can only you know you can only get very few things. The stores are you know quite quite uh, quite bare, barren actually. Yeah, we, 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 had, we had the great uh, toilet roll uh, run. <laughs> right. That's an unfortunate that. turn of phrase. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, I think we've learned our lessons. Uh, we're, 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 just coming, so. we're coming out of lockdown, and I think we're going to do things differently this time. So, um, well, look, Murray, first time we've met, first time we've spoken. Looking forward to hearing this yeah. story. Uh, we've heard a few similar stories about people trying to take advantage of the current precious metal market. So looking forward to hearing yours. But first of all, kick, off, kick us off with a one-minute overview for people new to this story, if you don't mind. Okay, well, what, we, uh, what we've been focused on, Matt, is uh, high-grade opportunities. And uh, we had a similar uh, situation we put into production back in 2010, a high-grade gold mine uh, near uh, Helena, Montana. We came back in in 2014, acquired this property, and it, uh, it showed some very good historical high-grade uh, uh, grade zones on the property. So we thought we'd give this a, this a try because we we're looking for that kind of an opportunity. So we... So we keep our costs as low as possible. Right. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, can we go back a bit though? Because this company seemed to be a big deal back in 2016, beginning of 17. Uh, and then it's kind of died off and flattened, flattened uh, a bit. So what was happening back then? Well, we just took the company public in March of 2016 in a very, very tough market. We, uh, in fact, it was a $550,000 underwriting uh, Canadian and uh, the CFO had to write a check for $50,000 to get it finished. That's how tough the market was. Uh, we were doing it with Mackey Research in Vancouver. Uh, subsequent to that, that was in March. In, in September of that year, uh, a group out of Vancouver had some really good success in the, uh, in the uh, lithium market with a deal called Lithium X. Uh, some of the principals behind that company had a, a high-grade gold property located in Arizona, and they were shareholders of ours in the previous deal we did in uh, in Montana, the, the Drum Lumen Mine in a co- company called RX Exploration. So, so they liked our operational skills and they said to us, would you come come and uh, consider our property? So what we did was we, we took on their property on an equal basis where they received just about as many shares as we had in our company. 
but they had some very good connections as far as uh, financing at that time because they had a, you know, call it a very hot hand in the market. And when, you know, people understood that they were involved, they were able to bring in some financing for us. And we had two private placements that we did in uh, December and early January that brought in over $5 million. And we started to drill and subsequent because of that, it, you know, because of that excitement, uh, the stock, you know, kind of took off and, uh, and then the market got tough again in say in, in, two, in latter two, 2016 and uh, the gold stocks were not, you know, not very favorable and very, very tough market. And uh, the stock kind of drifted down into the, I'm going to call it the four or five cent range. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we can sort of see it. And is that the same asset that you, you were going to be talking about today? Yes, exactly the same asset. Right. We had some very good drill results on it, uh, Matt. Uh, you know, it, looked, it looked very exciting, but then it became very, very tough to raise money and, and do some more exploration. But uh, we were able to kind of turn that around at the end of 2017 and start drilling again. Right. So how much money did you spend back then? I mean, there's obviously- spent about, I would say we spent about 5 million Canadian. In the ground? In the ground, yes. Right. Okay. So you've, you've got a bit of historical data. You've got some of your own data. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. Okay, well, look, what, what, why don't we kind of kick off with the kind of the business? Trying to, uh, if you don't mind, explain what the business model. You've got a few nice names associated with this in terms of people on the board, like uh, Joseph Caraba, uh, for instance, ex Newmont. Um, you know, so you've got the right people associated with this now. You've said yep. it very clearly in your deck and 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 the any of your communication. You're trying to take advantage of the current uh, pressures metals market. So let's talk about what you're setting out to do. So what, what, what's the business plan? So there, there was 640 historic drill holes on the property. And uh, there was a really nice looking vein. It was running parallel to the Custer vein, which is the major producer on the property. And uh, we, we called it parallel vein. And there was three drill holes into it. And uh, they showed very, very high grade. I, you know, if you don't mind, I can talk in ounces or, or would you prefer grams or, or does it want. matter? We're all good. Anyways, there was three really good drill holes showing a strike length of about 300 feet. Uh, the grades were in the half ounce range uh, or if you like 16, 17 grams and uh, with a pretty good width showing about five, six foot, foot of width. So that was kind of our, you know, our style was narrow vein, high grade. So we took a look at this and we, uh, we'd raised some money. So we set up the drill to uh, try and duplicate that hole. Fortunately, the uh, surveys were right, were right on, this, on this particular part of the property. Some of the surveys were off. We couldn't duplicate some of the very high grade uh, hits that they had historically. There were 640 drill holes into that, by the way. I, I mentioned that earlier. But on the way down, we hit another vein called uh, Block 93, and we named it because it was near some old workings, um, uh, in, and they were called Block 93. So we hit that vein on the way down first, and then we did hit parallel right where we thought it would be. And uh, Block 93 was about three and a half feet wide, or roughly a meter, running about uh, a third of an ounce, 0.3 or 10 grams and uh, parallel was uh, four and a half feet wide and it was running almost half ounce in that particular drill hole. So we set up and just drilled those off uh, over the course of the next year to try and establish some sort of uh, continuity to those two veins. Mm -hmm. And we did that. And, uh, and with that in mind, we thought uh, uh, at the time that what was really important to me was we had a very good operation over in, uh, in the Northeast of Helena called the Drum Lum and Gold Mine. We put that into production in 2010. 
And we had a very, very good crew on that, uh, on that project. Uh, geologists, miners, mine superintendents, uh, um, um, uh, and just a, a real good group that, uh, that I wanted to try and capture again for this project. And some of these guys were going other, other places. So we had enough continuity with the drilling that we decided to uh, drive a, a drift in or a tunnel, if you like. And uh, roughly uh, between those two veins, roughly 900 feet, and that would give us access to both of those veins to start a, you know, call it a bulk sample test mining program. So we thought that was a strategy. Number one, we thought we could get to cash flow uh, uh, faster. Uh, one of the best mining guys I've ever met in my life was a gentleman by the name of Mike Gunsinger. And one of the things he told me when I first started this back in 2005, Matt, in that state where Mike introduced me to the state, he said, Murray, always remember this. You drill for structure and you mine for gold. Don't ever forget that. And he looked me right in the eyes when he said that. And I could tell what he meant. He says, you can drill forever, but it's at some point you got to figure out what you're doing. And the best data you're ever going to get is by drifting on the veins. So what we did was we decided to get on those veins as quick as we could for, for a few reasons. One, we'd get better data. Uh, B, we'd capture the people we wanted to capture. And that was critical to being successful in this. So that, you know, that, that was my feeling. And then, uh, you know, so as a result of that, that's why we, we proceeded with what we call a fast track strategy. Okay, well, talk to me about this fast track strategy, because again, is there something, I mean, we've, we've kind of kind of jumped both feet into um, the, 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 the project per se. So um, if I sort of step back a bit, this fast track strategy mentality is what people need to be comfortable buying into in terms of your approach, because, you know, convention says you go through, you do your drilling, you do your studies, you work out the economics, you kind of make uh -huh. it, de-risk it, et cetera, et cetera. You're saying, no, it's historic workings. We've got a lot of holes in here. We've got a lot of data, certainly enough to get going. And um, your, your, your advice was, um, you know, you, you can drill for data, but you, you mine for gold. Uh, that's Great. the mentality. It's where, that's the mentality, yeah. Right, okay. So, and given the, given the, I mean, it's come off in the last couple of months, the price of gold, but uh, your view is going forward, it will continue to remain at current uh, levels or, or better, right? You've got to believe right. that. So right. talk, me, talk me through why is a fast track strategy good? Why, why shouldn't people go and listen to other stories which have a more conventional approach? Well, I think they're both good. I'm, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna discount the other, the other, uh, the other method, drilling and uh, getting a, a pre-feasibility study done, and all, all that sort of stuff. But that takes a lot of money to get that, uh, to get that put together. Um, I was more concerned, or we were, I shouldn't say I, we were more concerned about getting the right people involved. And if we didn't start soon, uh, those people were going to be drifting off to other projects. And I felt uh, it was it was very uh, necessary for us to get the right people to run this project for us. We, it's not as if we didn't have a lot of data. We had, from the drilling we did and the historic drilling, on those two veins, we had roughly about 1,200 feet of strike length. Uh, the Block 93 vein was uh, three feet wide on average and parallel was roughly four feet wide on average. So we had, we had some structure there of over 1,200 feet uh, the widths I've just described to you and the vertical extent of those, both of those veins was roughly 300 feet from the drilling we did. So we thought we had enough of a resource there to get started with. And then also what happens when you get, when you get underground, you're able to set up uh, underground drill stations and they're going to give you a lot better data than say surface drill stations, because for one thing, permitting a surface drill 
it, it takes over a month. And, and Montana is one of the best best jurisdictions anywhere for permitting this stuff. In Canada, it might take you six months to get a drill station permitted. So we had underground drill stations, which are very, a lot closer to the material we're trying to hit. Uh, we've got the infrastructure in place. Uh, we're drifting on the veins. We're getting, you know, any, as good a data as you would from the drill. And and in the and while we're doing that, we're uh, we're making some muck that we're stockpiling that we're going to put through a mill that we've uh, that we've uh, leased for the next three years. Okay, I'll talk about the mill in a second. But if if I look at this, I need to understand, or I need to believe that you understand the costs around this. Okay, underground yep. mining more expensive than open pit. All the kind of obvious stuff. How do you work out what this is going to cost you and therefore what your margin is going to be? If there's going to be a margin. Well, we've got an all in sustaining cost estimated at roughly around eight, 850. How do you work that out? How do you know that? Well, we worked it out from, from uh, the experience from the other mines that we put into production. Uh, we had a lot of experience from the drum lemon mine. You know, we, we knew exactly what our costs were. We need, you know, we know what equipment we need, uh, how to acquire that equipment at, at, uh, at a reasonable cost. Uh, how to how to get very good miners? I mean, you know, if you're dealing with narrow vein underground, you've got to have very good people working for you, and you bonus those miners uh, to stay on the vein so that they uh, they don't uh, they don't drill into the waste. Now, one of the things we put in place that no, I don't think very few, if any, other junior mining companies have is their own assay lab. And uh, the reason for that is we want good turnaround on our drilling, and we want good turnaround on our on our mining. So what we need to do is we need to have those drill results right away and have it assayed. Right now, the backlog on drilling is six to eight weeks. So it, uh, you know, you could be drilling and not even know what you're hitting. You're hitting, hitting a vein. You might even not even know if the vein's carrying anything. So we get uh, we get turnarounds on those uh, drill results from our assay lab in roughly 12 hours. Uh, we also send those assays out for check assays on a regular basis, and our assayer is is uh, very accurate, and our assays are bang on as far as any check assays we've done. On the other side of that, when we uh, when we drill and blast a face, uh, the geologist goes in and samples that face. So when he comes back out, he puts that into the assay lab. The assay assay assays that. So we've got channel samples along that face and chip samples. Then he comes back and marks that face up so that we're not drilling and blasting into waste. So we're trying to, we're trying at every, you know, at every opportunity to maintain grade control. That's also important to know what you're shipping to the mill. So when we do take a, a round and, and drill and blast it and, and put it on the muck pile outside, we then sample that muck pile so we know what we're shipping to the mill so that we can get a constant, uh, what we hope to do is get a constant uh, uh, grade going to that mill, so that we can uh, we we you know we have a have a consistent mill uh, mill grade going to that mill, so the mill is tuned up for that type of material. Okay, well let, let's come on to the mill. Okay, uh, Paradigm, uh, you pick you pick that up. Uh, I think it's plated for 150 tons a day. You're going to spend a little bit of money on it. I mean, when does that thing get up and running? Uh, it's going to get up and running today, hopefully. <laughs> Um, we had to put a, uh, we've been talking about putting a crushing circuit, getting it ready. The crushing circuit was wired last week. Uh, we tested it on Friday. It crushed, uh, in two hours, it crushed 200 tons. So we're very happy with how it turned out. Uh, filled up the hopper in a couple hours. And then we ran the ball mill for about four or five hours on Saturday, just to see what kind of deficiencies it had. There's, uh, we had to, 
we had to do a few little tune-ups. Uh, one of the uh, oilers or lubrication uh, systems on the ball mill had to be uh, had to be redone. Some of the some of the uh, hoses and, and and fittings were corroded. So we were uh, we were working on that yesterday. One we have a Nelson concentrator in the ball mill, and it takes a lot of water. The uh, the well wouldn't keep up with it, so we ran a return pump from one of the tailings ponds back to the back to the uh, Nelson concentrator to get it running. So you know I think we're way ahead of the game because you know we've we've got this ball mill, our this gravity flotation mill, I should say. And we've leased it for $20,000 a month. And we pay the owners $12 a ton to, to mill there. You know, something like that would take, to replicate, would take anywhere from 5 to $10 million. Plus, you'd be waiting three to four years, if not longer. So getting back to that fast track strategy, this, this, this opportunity was available. And then, of course, you're going to lease a ball mill. You better have something to put through it. So, uh, you know, we thought we were far enough along with our drilling to put that, uh, that uh, tunnel in which we named the Caraba Tunnel and uh, get, on, get on these veins, get some very good data from, from drifting on them, and then have that stockpile go into that mill so we could start that mill up with some, you know, call it lower grade to start with. We don't want to put any high grade through there, but we have material stockpile, roughly, roughly 4,000 tons sitting there, and uh, we're, we're ready to go. Okay, and what's the, what's the cutoff on that? The cutoff grade? Yeah. I would say our cutoff grade is a 0. 0.1. 0.1. Okay, really? Okay, pretty, pretty low stuff compared to the it's, it's 180, you know, at 0. 0.1, it's $180, uh, $180 rock. So, okay, so that's just make a, a little bit. Of, you're going to make a little bit of money, get the ball rolling, but you're yeah. chasing high yeah. grade. So at some point, you'll yeah. re reconfigure. So, again, tell me about the terms that you've leased it um, and you are incurring the cost of getting it up and running again. Yeah. It, well, it, they spent $4 million on it, Matt. You know, they relined the ball mill. They put a uh, new charge of balls in it. They put the Nelson concentrator in it. They hired a very good uh, metallurgist out of, uh, I think it was uh, Butte, Montana. He came in and, and did a lot of work for them, getting it uh, tuned up. So they spent $4 million before we got there. And we, what we had to do was put the crushing circuit in. And we spent, I would say, roughly a half a million dollars getting it ready out of, out of our deal. But we have a you know, pretty much a brand new mill. I mean, the tailings pond was brand new. There was nothing in it except a little runoff water. So we had a brand new tailings pond. We've got room for three others at that mill site. So uh, I think we're in, you know, in good shape in acquiring that. Yeah. And we've got it for three years on a lease basis with an option to purchase it in the fourth year. For, for Have you set that number, the purchase yeah, number? Yeah, $4 million. Yeah. Okay. We have an and, option to purchase. Interesting. And is it fully permitted? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So so, no, so so that's happening. So let's get back to the mine and try and work out right. when you're going to be able to feed the high grade stuff there. Because I guess high grade people get excited about. So what does that look like? Sure. Well, we put the Caraba tunnel in, and the next phase of that is uh, is what's known as sill drifting. And if, if for lack of a better dis, uh, description, it's a tunnel, and that sill drift goes along the entire length of the vein. Okay, so we've got, uh, we've got a sill drift on what we call Custer West right now running over 200 feet. And we've got a sill drift running on parallel east running for over 100 feet right now. So those, what those sill drifts are doing are, are setting up what we, uh, the next phase of this uh, uh, project is called a, uh, a shrink stope. That's the method we're going to use to mine this, uh, Matt, by the way. It's a shrink stope method, which is very, very accurate. It's not done too often nowadays uh, because it does take uh, does take a lot of talent, 
So you have to have an experienced, you know, experienced crew in there. So what you do once you have the uh, sill drift done, you leave a pillar. When I when I say a pillar, you leave about ten feet or fifty, pardon me, fifteen feet on the roof, if you like. Then you go out laterally for about thirty or forty feet, and then you come back at roughly a sixty degree angle in what they call a bean hole raise, which gives you access to the vein that you've just mined along the sill drift. And then you, what you do then is you just mine the vein. You don't mine that 10 foot wide. The sole drift, by the way, is 10 by 10. So then you just mine the entire width of the vein, whatever it is, by about 10 feet high. Okay, so this this is small scale mining model. This is the small scale mining model, right? Okay, so it, there's a few words in there, which uh, again, help people understand if it's something they want to get involved with, which is, you know, sure. the, you know the small scale uh, component to it is, you know, there's no kind of blue sky to this. I mean, how do you go about expanding out what the known well, the, the known uh, mineralization? Okay. Well, we're on one level right now. All right. So then the plan would be um, the best description I can, we're going to be uh, using a ramp method to get lower. So to get 100 feet lower, you have to drive what's about a 700 foot ramp. Okay. So 100 feet equals uh, seven, 700 feet. So once we get lower, we can start another level at, at that elevation. So then you've got a level at, say, you know, 300 feet. Then you go 100 feet lower. So that's your 400 level. And uh, if you've been paying attention to our drill results, uh, we've hit two very, very good holes, roughly 40 feet below us and 80 feet below us. Um, I just, you know, off the top of my head, I might be a little inaccurate here, but uh, the first hole was roughly... Uh, I'll say where we're at right now on parallel west, the first hole was roughly 30 or 40 feet below us and about 40 or 50 feet ahead of us from where we are now. And that intercept, intercepted a five-foot zone running over one ounce per ton. Then we have another drill hole roughly 300 feet from there going ahead, going further. And it's roughly 80 feet below where we're at right now. And it was three feet of 0.6 ounces per ton. So you can infer, you know, we got more drilling to do there to infill that. But, right, you know, right, right now, it looks like we got a, you know, 300 foot strike length on that of some very, very good ore, uh, roughly uh, 100 feet below us. So once we start that elevation. So just to, just to give you a little bit of background on that, Matt, by the way, uh, it's, it's, low, it's low tonnage. But if you've got one miner in, in a, working in a shrink stope, that miner on a four foot wide vein can roughly create three, 30 tons per heading per shift. So if you intersect that vein and you've got two headings, that gives you 60 tons. So if you then put another bean hole raise, let's say down about 80 feet from your first one, you can start two more headings there. That'll give you another 60 tons per shift. So with that in mind, with, with, uh, with, uh, two, you know, with four headings, you can create 120 tons. And if you get two shifts, you can create more more muck uh, as a result of that. Okay. So, it is small scale, but you're 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 are, you are you know we're more focused on on ounces rather than tons. We're trying to mine ounces, not tons. So no, I understand that. And of course, that keeps the cost lower. I understand that. But what's the point? Because you talked about eight hundred and fifty bucks uh, um, uh, number there. Um, when do you get to the point when you can confirm that that is the case? Because in terms of recovery rates, dilution, metallurgy, yep. all of that usual yep. high-risk uh, stuff yep. that in, in high-grade mining, when, 
how much data or how much more time will you need to be able to get a handle on those numbers? Well, I think over the next two months, Matt, because we're like I just indicated, we are starting the production stope uh, on Custer West. So we've got uh, that stope can, it looks like it's going to be about 200 feet long. Uh, the vertical on it looks to be about 150 feet high, maybe higher. There's some, some other historic drill holes that are a little higher, but uh, 150 feet high. And uh, we, we estimate the vein by the drifting we've done. This is, and it's very good data that we have. Uh, we estimate the vein being roughly four to five feet wide for that entire length. So that once we get on that vein, we start mucking that out. We ship that to the mill. We're going to have a very good idea what our costs are going to be as as we uh, as we advance that uh, that cylinder or pardon me that that stope. Okay. And when does this? When does this? What does the price need to look like before this gets a little bit tight again? Like you experienced back in 2016, 17, the markets went away uh, for you. Um, how much headroom have you got? Well, we've done all our financial modeling at $1,200 an ounce gold, uh, 11 to $1,200. So we think, you know, when we started this project, when we decided to put the, the Caraba tunnel in, that, that's, the, that's the numbers we were working with. So we thought we had some, you know, pretty good margins at, at you know, at that price. But now with gold being 1800 of course, it, it looks that much better for us. So we're, we're quite comfortable with, uh, you know, with, with the kind of margins we can produce, Matt. Okay. And you've been raising money uh, this year. You've raised, what, how much have you raised uh, this year, do you reckon? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I'd have to go back and look, but I think it's about 10, 8 to 10 million, yes. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. And you, you've done a lot of that in Germany, in Europe. Why is that? Uh, well, we had some, you know, I got approached um, uh, by uh, the German mining group. And they had uh, they had a program for us that uh, we could talk to high, high net worth investors and institutional fund fund managers, and it was a it was a reasonable you know kind of uh, call it uh, bill that they you know that they uh, were approaching us with, and I thought well yeah that's a that's a very good idea we should try and get this story out to the out to the Europeans. Uh, we've uh, they've they've been very very successful in helping us with this this project. They've uh, brought in an investment, and, and uh, I've been doing about two calls a week with institutional investors or high net worth individuals. The other thing that we've where we've raised raised a lot of money is in the United States. Uh, we've also had the Palisade uh, Group uh, call it from a from a more institutional line. The Palisade a group have invested, I think, a million and a half or maybe $2 million into the project so far. But then with Joe Caraba's contacts in the United States, we've had, uh, we've had some very good success uh, attracting investors in the U.S. And a lot of these investors have never, ever invested in the gold market before. So it's, uh, it's, uh, I think that, that market in the U.S. is starting to take shape. Uh, there's, there's very few, there were very few investors interested in gold in that, in that uh, uh, country, but now it's, it's, uh, a lot of people are getting very, very interested in that. Do you, and do you think that works better for you guys? Because, like I said, we talked about you know people have been investing in uh, natural resources mining for a while. They understand the kind of the conventional process. For you guys in this environment where people are maybe coming out of the the tax base or the Robin Hooders or whatever, they they understand the market and the processes less well, and therefore a story like yours may sound absolutely you know reasonable and and, and fine compared to. I say the people who who've got a different view. Yeah, I, I think so. That you know, a lot of them. You know, if we get we get some very very interesting questions like, how do you know the gold's there, right? So, 
So we have to we have to walk them. Call it mining 101. We have to walk them through the fact that we you know take a diamond drill and we drill it and try and hit a vein, and then we you know and there's a lot of science behind it. It's, it's not you know, it's not hocus pocus. I mean, there's a lot of science behind mining for sure. I mean, and uh, and you know like I said, we you know we have a very good drill. You know, by the way, I didn't mention before we have our own drill team and we have two of our own drills. So we can we can drill at probably about half the cost of uh, other companies. So that keeps our cost low. And uh, is that, and, is that uh, underground mining uh, drilling you're talking about? Right? Uh, we have our own drill drill crews, and we have uh, three of our own drills. Uh, we have two underground drills and one surface drill, and they're pretty much going continuously. So they're drilling out ahead of where we're mining. So we're trying to you know uh, improve the resource as we drill and uh, and keep ahead of ourselves and looking for uh, you know newer material that we haven't discovered before. Okay, look, just talking talking to shareholders and, and obviously people new to mining and retail uh, miners at that. Um, the management, I know you, you mentioned that Joe's a big holder. Um, how uh-huh. much does the management team hold? Yeah, the, the management team and call it close friends and business associates. I, I we've done a tally on it. We you know we estimate around 150 million shares is what uh, what that group owns. Uh, these are very you know very close uh, shareholders of ours that have. Pretty much invested in every round of financing we've done, so uh, we've been very, very lucky and fortunate in getting this type of shareholder base. Um, and uh, Joe, you know, Joe uh, himself has put in, well, I think, over three million dollars into the company of his own money. So, you know, he's he's uh, he's been a big supporter and endorser of the company. Now, uh, if if you don't mind, Matt, I could talk about that experience of meeting Joe. Uh, got on a call much like you and I are talking today, and he had a he had a series of questions just like you're asking me, and uh, and I brought Ben Porterfield on, our head geologist, and Ben's also a director of the company. So Joe had a series of questions, and you know, I somebody told me it was kind of a hurry up deal. Said, can you get on a call with a New York Stock Exchange listed mining executive, and can you do it in the next three hours? And I said, well, possibly. I'll see if I'll see if Ben's available, and he was fortunately. So Joe had all these questions and, uh, and, you know, we were very experienced, you know, we, you know, we've got a lot of experience in the mining side of things. So I was impressed by his questions that he was asking. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, we answered his question at the end of the call. He said, guys, you've answered my questions to my satisfaction. Like I told him we had our own assay lab. I told him we had our own drill crew and our own drill and stuff like that. And that, uh, the, you know, was on patented ground. And so Joe being on the board of Newmont uh, for 10 years, he was also under sustainability and risk committee and also on the safety committee. So he chaired the sustainability committee. So he's very familiar with the projects and, and the risk associated with them. And uh, so, you know, his, his risk assessment of it was uh, starting to intrigue him. So I asked him at the end of the call and I, you know, I've done this a lot, Matt, very few people take me up on this offer. I said, would you like to do a site visit, Joe? And fortunately, it was in the it was in the end of the summertime, so the weather was still still nice. And he said, "I'll think about that, Murray. I'll get back to you." So you know, and everybody gives you that kind of line. But I said, "Okay, okay, well." So he emailed me the next day. He says, "I can be there next Tuesday. Does that work for you?" I said, "I'll make it work." So we happened uh, fortuitously. We met. Uh, he was coming from uh, North Carolina. I was coming from Winnipeg. We met in Minneapolis. So we flew directly. You know, sitting across from one another. Our seat, seating was even you know, even, even good that way. We're sitting right across from one another. So we chatted all the way down. So he saw the, you know, we saw the property, he saw the drill core, he saw, you know, he saw all the infrastructure that was in place. 
And, you know, when you when you talk about infrastructure, I think that's a very important thing to mention. You know, we there's a major highway, paved highway within two, three miles of the property. And then we're on a very, very good county road. So we're not building roads in the middle of nowhere for 20, 30, 40 miles where miners have to commute into the mine and out of the mine for two to three hours a day. They're, uh, they're very, it's very easily accessible. It's uh, low elevation by Montana standards. So that, uh, that means that we can mine year round uh, because the snowfall is not that great in that area. The other thing, there's a, there's a major uh, power line going right through the middle of the property. So we're, we're very fortunate in that respect that we've got power there. We haven't hooked it up yet because that's a big expense, but we do have the power right to the mine site when we do want to hook it up. Uh, you know, Montana, uh, where we're located, is uh, roughly 27 or 37 kilometers outside of the state capital, which has very good schools, hospitals, jet service, and very good accommodation for, for people to live. It's a very, very nice community. So that's attractive. Montana has a very good workforce. And of course, a lot of these guys want to work at home. So we've been able to attract a lot of talent that way. So when Joe looked at all this, you know, when he does his risk assessment for Newmont, they have a they have a criteria. So he said, Murray, at the end of the conversation, he says, as far as you know, when I'm looking at this, he says you check all the boxes, except you don't have a big resource. But in every every other respect, as far as risk factors are concerned, you know, you're in you're in one of the best jurisdictions in the world. Like you know, you might say Canada, the United States, and Australia are probably the three top ones. He says, you've got infrastructure in place, you've got workforce, you've got good grade, you know, grade is very, very important because, you know, obviously if you can, you can mine 0.2 or a quarter ounce per ton, you only have to move four tons of material to create an ounce of gold as opposed to your, your uh, competitor that has to move 10. So you obviously you can, you can keep your cost lower because of that, that fact. So when he looked at all this, you know, we didn't have the, you know, we didn't have the big resource but he could still see the, the potential there. Because getting back to Mike's comment, Matt, when you say drill for structure, mine for gold, the historic mine on the property, we haven't really tackled it yet because we haven't had the money or we're, we're, we're not in the right position, is the Custer mine. Now, the Custer mine was mined continuously for over 2,400 feet. And back in 1890, it was, it, was, uh, it was one of the longest, if not the longest vein in the world. So when you looked at that, it was only mined down to four or 500, probably 400 feet, I should say. So we thought there was a big, uh, big resource potential below the, you know, below where they stopped mining, basically because of the water table. So when he looked at all this, he said, you know, I really like this. And I said, would you consider a, an equity investment? He said, well, I think I'd put a couple hundred thousand dollars into it, Murray. But, you know, since then, you know, he's been a very big supporter, became the largest shareholder. And, uh, and then becomes uh, executive chairman. And him and I talked four or five times a day, Matt. We're very, very intertwined in the business. And he's very, very helpful. He knows a lot of people and any resources we need, he's got access to. Fantastic. Well, like, uh, that's nice to hear the, the beginnings of that relationship. But, um, tell me this. I'll just finish up on this one, which is you obviously you've been raising money you know, this year. I think it's about around 10 million bucks near, near Stamets. Um, how much of that have you got left, and what, what's that going to allow you to do? And you know, and will you need to raise more capital before you can actually get the mill operating and, and spewing out gold? No, I think we've got enough money. We can actually get the mill turning and spewing out some gold. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not going to promise a lot of ounces right now, but we are going to produce some ounces probably before the end of the year. 
So we are going to we are going to offset some of the costs that we've been incurring with the gold production. Keeping in mind that uh, that shrink stope or the first uh, production stope is being developed right now. Uh, that should come on stream probably in in two to three weeks, and we've got enough muck on the ground that we can run the mill, at you know at a test phase just to tune it in probably at about a I'm going to say about about 80 to 100 tons a day to start with, but we've got some low grade there. But then we've got what I'll call some uh, some uh, mid grade. It's roughly a 0.2, and then we've got some higher grade 0.3 to 0.4 ounces per ton sitting there as well that we can test that mill out with. So we are going to produce some ounces. Fantastic. Well. It- Murray, appreciate you coming on telling us that story. With this fast track strategy of yours, you're going to need to keep talking to the market because it's it's unconventional. But if you keep delivering, yep. people are going to keep listening. So appreciate your time today. So far, so good, Matt. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for being on your show. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.